0: Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Etienne. Last week, Dimitri and I traveled to the URAF conference in Sardinia. We met many amazing people and had fascinating conversations on agroforestry. These conferences are held every two years, but if you have the chance, we recommend traveling to the next one. In this short interview with the president of the European Agroforestry Federation, Patrick Worms, he explains what the organization does and its next steps. We also discuss how we can build additional bridges between research and practitioners. Enjoy. Hello, Patrick. Welcome back on the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's a delight to be back.
0: To give a bit of context, we're here together in Sardinia in the city of Nuoro for uh, the URAF 2022 um, Agroforestry Conference. And we thought it would be the perfect opportunity to present the work of URAF uh, to our listeners. So could you tell us a bit about its history and its missions?
1: Uh, I'd be delighted to. So I'm Patrick Worms and I'm the president of URAF and URAF stands for European Agroforestry Federation. And it was founded ten years ago uh, uh, this year in, in France And it was the first ever European organization, European association, European federation, if you like, that brought together people interested in agroforestry from across the continent. Um, Its origins were mostly from the academic community, who had rediscovered the importance of trees on agricultural lands, uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, and had started working on it in individual European countries, and then realized that they could be not only stronger working at it together across European boundaries in terms of getting better scientific results, but also be able to influence and uh, work with European policymakers in order to encourage the adoption of agroforestry.
0: And today, what do the main missions look like then, or activities?
1: The main mission is really threefold. First, we are trying to encourage practitioners, meaning farmers and farmers' association and farmers' groups, to consider adding agroforestry to their toolkit. Most farmers are well advised when it comes to the use of machinery or or, or genetics or inputs, but they are less well advised when it comes to the use of trees. And so we're working together with the uh, advisory community and the technical community to help them add that particular knowledge base to, to, to their system. We have a strong academic component, and so we also do uh, research. We're involved in a couple of European funded research projects at the moment. One to try to digitize agroforestry advisory services, uh, um, uh, uh, for example. And the third thing that we do um, is to try to influence uh, uh, legislation and regulatory systems in, in, in Europe. For, for your North American listeners, uh, you have the, 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 the National Farm Bureau. Uh, here we have equivalent institutions, but we have uh, a regulatory framework which is far more complex and far more onerous for farmers to respect than you have in North America. And that means that farmers who want to try agroforestry have to be wary of breaking some rule that they may be ignoring and suddenly losing part of their subsidy payments. So we work with policymakers to try to change that. And we also work with policymakers at a more at a more conceptual level. For example, if you look at the uh, the, the, the big strategies that the European Union proposed last year, the biodiversity strategy, the forestry strategy, or the farm-to-fork strategy, each of them make prominent mention of agroforestry as a result of the conversation we had with policymakers at that level.
0: In our other interview we focused a lot on the policy level, so I'll set this aside for the moment and focusing more on um, building this connection between academia and projects on the ground. Um, What exists today? And if I'm a farmer and I want to benefit from this expertise uh, that we've witnessed during the whole conference, what can I do today?
1: The most luxurious way of getting involved, the Rolls-Royce solution as it were, is to become part of a living lab network. A living lab network is a network of farms, of communities or of landscapes that have decided to work closely together with research scientists in order to explore a particular facet of agroforestry and thus transform their landscape. That's the Rolls-Royce option. If you don't have the Rolls-Royce option, the next option is to look at the URF website. And inside the URF website, you will have references to all of the people inside individual member states who are on national associations. And again, this is then a network of national academic institutions. So if you're a farmer in Germany, for example, and you don't know who to talk to, get in touch with the URF website. You will be directed to the DEFAF website. And from there, you can then get in touch with the university that is close to you. And at that university, identify one or several individuals, typically masters or PhD students, who would be happy to work with you to transform your farming systems, if only you have to measure what you do.
0: It can be intimidating for a farmer to reach out to academics, but you think that's the way to go and that it's uh, easy and we should just send an email to the closest university and get redirected?
1: It's just as intimidating for a young academic to talk to a farmer. Who is a farmer? A farmer is a master of his or her own destiny. Dozens to hundreds, sometimes more hectares of land, decisions every single day that are profoundly influenced by complex factors like weather and disease and price and commodities and rules and regulations. Farmers are not academics, but the cognitive load, the amount of decision making, the complexity of the decisions that have to be taken by a farmer are just as high and probably higher than they are for an academic. So when you have a a, a PhD student or researcher coming on your farm what you often see is that it's a meeting of equals, right? They all have their different individual perspective. One is spending most of his time reading scientific papers, the other one is spending most of his time figuring out how to run a farm. But they have the conversations are extremely rich and extremely fruitful because they're both interested in the same things. They both have the same degree of curiosity, uh, and, but they bring together complementary perspectives. So by all means, don't be afraid of doing that.
0: Okay, well that's kind of answers the building new relationships. But how about taking advantage of the incredible amount of knowledge that's already been produced in previous research programs I'm thinking of, for example, Ag AgForward. Uh, are there any resources there that I would find practical as a farmer?
1: Yes, you will find these resources on, on the web, obviously, by... But how many farmers have time in the evening to uh, uh, still spend a couple of hours doing research? I don't know. So if you're a farmer who would be interested in having this, but you don't have the time to actually do the research yourself, the solution is actually exactly the same. Get in touch with the local university. Uh, Very often a student will be only too happy to do the research for you uh, in order to supply you with the right advice. And you then, in effect, have your own librarian who is spending time on the Internet trying to find out which paper is applicable to you and whatnot.
0: So, this is basically about making researchers work for you as a farmer, right? Absolutely, after all, you make,
1: you make the cows work for you, you, make the trees work for you, you, make the plants work for you, you might as well make the researchers work for you. <laughs> Great. No, I'm serious, right? I mean, you have to remember what a researcher tries to do. A researcher, especially a researcher in agroecology or farming, has to work with a farmer in order to get data, in order to understand what's going on, and in order to educate him or herself. That means that the farmer has the upper hand in that relationship. You want to work on my farm, Mr. Researcher person? Sure, but in exchange, please help me answer this, this and that question.
0: Amazing. Um, What are the next steps for URAF in in terms of the organizations, both uh, how it functions and its missions? How do you see the next years coming up?
1: In terms of organisation, we spent the last ten years being exclusively driven by volunteers. We had a volunteer board, and we sometimes had staff that was dedicated to projects, but we never had a, a head office, if you like. So this year, we are hiring a person who we'll call a secretary general, full-time staffer, uh, who is going to be based in Brussels, and whose job is going to be to more intensively uh, influence the, the the policy process and help us better manage uh, the institution. In terms of the objectives that have has, we We all know, those of us who've been involved with agroforestry for a while, that this is an extremely promising field of activity, but I think we're all impatient to see more farmers practice it and more farmers adopt it and more farmers trial it, that is currently the case. And those of us who work at the climate modeling side will understand how the increasing urgency of that arises. Um, The the resilience, uh, the the, the impact on resilience of agroforestry-based systems is becoming increasingly important as weather patterns change more and more. Uh, So the urgency is is growing and so in, in the next few years at URAF, the, um, the work's really going to be, I think, focused on three main axes. One, ensure that the policy and regulatory framework uh, reduces the barriers to agroforestry and makes more money and more technical support available to farmers who want to try agroforestry. Uh, second, trying to figure out a way of working with people who have an entree into every farm, meaning the agrochemical companies, uh, to help them integrate these kinds of agroecological solutions to their toolkit. After all, they know how to make money from farmers, we don't. So, if we can work together with people who already have that that, that expertise in marketing and that expertise in talking to farmers it would be absolutely brilliant um, and the third would be to uh, knit far closer relationships between practitioners and the academics URAF is still mostly an academic institution it needs to become a practitioner institution in the same way that uh, I don't know Kojeka, for example the network of farming organizations in Europe um, does have some academics, but it's mostly a practitioner institution. Um, uh, URAF needs to be an institution that puts far more, uh, makes far more room for, for actual farmers. You may then ask why we don't have more farmers here in New Orleans. Well, it's spring, farmers are busy, you know, it's the wrong time to have farmers at a conference.
0: For the moment, the organization of URAF seems to be a lot about sharing uh, peer-to-peer between researchers, and I'm wondering, can we uh, think of evolving the organization towards uh, more peer-to-peer exchange, even through farmers, or do you think that the identity of URF is research and farmers need to organize in other types of organizations that can collaborate?
1: No, absolutely not. I think your, your assessment of what URF is is skewed by the fact that we are at a scientific conference so by definition you have mostly researchers but when you look at the the people who are involved in Europe at the level and the individual at the level of the countries or the members uh, you find that the majority are actually practitioners and some of these practitioners are part of research projects through Europe horizon Europe projects or what have you but the vast majority are just practitioners that are happy to talk to what they consider to be technical advisors in order to improve the agroforestry system. So that's already happening and we just need to ensure that it happens more and more. Now, EURAF is a European federation. So yes, we have some individual members. If you want to give us 30 euros and become an individual member, feel free. I'll give you my account number, well, our account number. Um, But most of the time, people join through their national agroforestry or national farmer federation. So in Germany, for example, it's DEFAF. In, In England, it's the Woodland Trust. Uh, in France, there's a couple of associations Slovakia as well, etc. And that's how farmers, practitioners, students, and anybody who's interested in fact joins URAF and becomes a member of URAF.
0: Patrick, thank you so much. You're welcome, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you want any additional information about URAF and the work, uh, please visit their website. I'll add the link in the description. We hope you enjoyed this short episode.